kings and prophets. Sounds dramatic enough. Today I'm going to be telling you a few stories. Okay, really it's, it's one story. And perhaps within these stories, you'll find your story. Uh, it was the year 871 BC, and there was an evil king and an evil queen ruling in Israel. The king was Ahab, and the queen was Jezebel. Some say that Queen Jezebel was the most evil queen of all time. And in this time, God raises up a prophet named Elijah. The name Elijah means, my God is Jehovah, or Yahweh is God. And this prophet says to King Ahab, there will be no rain until the Lord says. And it was so. Uh, and in an agricultural society, this messed with every aspect of life, okay? So this should be the showdown between the evil king and queen and the prophet of God. Look at verse two. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So now is not the time for a showdown with the king, okay? God is going to feed the prophet Elijah with birds, okay? God's saying, I'm going to teach you some things privately so that I can use you publicly. There are these seasons in life when we too are at the Kareth Ravine a season of pain, a season of where is God? And oftentimes in those seasons is where God is uniquely present to do a deep work within you. It's a little bit like the little birdie that was flying south for the winter. Now, I really like this story because it's gross, it's sad, and it's funny, okay? Three great, great qualities that you need in a good story, okay? So the little birdie is flying south for the winter and he got a little bit of a late start and he got caught in a snowstorm. So the snow and the sleet were so fierce that it got on his little wings and they began to freeze. And all of a sudden he came in for a crash landing. And so there he is stuck in the snow, just being pelted. He was so cold, his wings were frozen, he couldn't fly, he was being covered. And so he just resigned to this horrible death. He said, this is the worst thing ever. I'm going to freeze to death. And all of a sudden, a cow came along, stood on top of the little birdie and then dumped on him, okay? This is the gross part of the story, in case you were wondering. So just a load of manure just falls on top of this little bird. And the bird's like, I thought it was bad. I thought I was gonna freeze to death, and now I'm in this pile of poop. This is the worst thing ever. And then all of a sudden, the warmth of the manure started to cause his little wings to unthaw. And so he started to shake. He started to shake his little wings. I might live. So he's chirping with joy, and all of a sudden, one of Satan's leading creatures, a cat, okay, showed up, heard the chirping, dug through the manure, and killed and ate the bird. Okay, that's the sad part of the story in case you were wondering. Okay, three lessons from this fable. Lesson number one, everyone who drops manure on you is not your enemy. Lesson number two, everyone who digs you out is not necessarily your friend. And lesson number three, when you are in the manure, keep your big mouth shut. All right, God teaches Elijah at the Kareth Ravine to trust in him, to be dependent upon him. 
says this sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. Okay, Zarephath of Sidon, uh, that's where Jezebel's from. So you're moving me into enemy territory? And notice that in this time of drought, Elijah longed for water. And the text says that the brook dried up. The very thing that Elijah longed for was now being withheld so that Elijah would go where God wants him to go. So he gets to Zarephath and he meets a widow. And he's like, give me some food and water. And she says, I've got one meal left, okay? Actually, I'm going home right now to cook my very last meal for my son and I. We're gonna eat it so that we can die in peace. And Elijah says, how about you give me that meal instead? And then you can make a meal for you and your boy. And the food one that it's not gonna run out, the Lord will provide. And she does it. This prophet has the audacity to ask for her last meal, and she does it. Then the food doesn't run out, okay? It continues. Elijah stays there for a while with the woman and her son, all three relying on each other in this season of famine, of drought. The boy gets sick, and it gets worse and worse and worse until he dies. The widow says to Elijah, in 1 Kings 17, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child carried him down from the room into the house and gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. This is the first resurrection in the Bible. It wouldn't be the last. Now go back to the Kareth Ravine. Elijah is there in the middle of a drought, longing for water. The brook dried up. God withheld the very thing that Elijah wanted. Often, God will guide by what he doesn't provide. Okay, the brook, if that brook doesn't dry up, then Elijah never meets this widow and her son. If that brook doesn't dry up, then there is no miraculous provision of food. If that brook doesn't dry up, then there is no resurrection. Okay, you've been praying for something. You've been praying for something that you need and God has withheld. Often, he will guide by what he doesn't provide. Maybe you aren't ready for what you're praying for. Maybe he wants to do something in you before he does something for you. Maybe he's got something better for you in Zarephath and Sidon. Maybe he's moving you to a place where the miraculous is possible. And the miraculous follows Elijah further into enemy territory in chapter 18. This is one of the most famous passages um, in the story of Elijah. God says to Elijah, go present yourself to Ahab. Now it's time for the showdown, okay? So Elijah goes to the king and he says, let's settle this once and for all, okay? So you get together all of your prophets, okay? You pick the time, you pick the place, make sure there's a crowd, make sure the cameras are rolling because it is going down. And so it was. 
on Mount Carmel, okay? The most delicious place in the Bible. 450 prophets of Baal versus Elijah. Okay, it's a mismatch. Uh, not only is it 450 against one, but they've got home field advantage. Elijah says, you guys make a sacrifice and then you ask God to light it on fire. I'll do the same. Whosoever God consumes the sacrifice, well, then he is God. It's like the scene in Gladiator with Russell Crowe. Are you not entertained? Elijah says to thousands of people gathered at this epic showdown, how long will you waver between two opinions? If Baal is God, then serve him. If Yahweh is God, then serve him. It's a bit of a haunting question for us, isn't it? How long will you waver between two opinions? So the false prophets go first, okay? They get the ball first and they pray and they sing and they dance, oh Baal, answer us, and nothing happens. And after hours of this, Elijah starts messing with them, okay? Look at verse 27. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. Do you see the humor here? Maybe your god's on vacation, okay? Little vacay. Maybe he's taking a nap, a siesta. Okay, and here's what's even better. When he says maybe he's busy, what he's really saying is, and I'm not making this up, okay, I studied Hebrew in seminary. What he's really saying is maybe he's going to the bathroom. Okay, that's funny. That's what he says. The most literal translation is maybe he's busy, maybe he's relieving himself. Elijah is just cold, okay, in front of all these people. Shout louder, okay, I'm picturing him. He's eating a snack, he's leaning back. He's like, shout louder, okay. Maybe he's in deep thought. Maybe he's on the john, okay? Now, I resent that phrase for a lot of reasons, okay? So nothing happens. Uh, what is now Elijah going to do? It's his turn. He gets the ball. He says, get some water. Uh, but Elijah, in a time of no rain, water is a rare commodity. Elijah says, get some water and soak the sacrifice. They do it. Now, everybody knows that wet wood doesn't catch on fire. So they do it. He says, do it again. Then he says, do it one more time. Okay, it is soaked. It filled a trench around the sacrifice. And so here is the moment, uh, the great showdown. Elijah steps and prays, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. The phrase that the people said, the Lord, he is God, would have sounded like Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. Now, 
this is where the credits should come up, right? Cue the theme song. This is where Elijah is carried off the field like Daniel Rudiger from Rudy, okay? That's how it should be. But that's not how it was. The next passage in chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He runs for his life? Does he remember what has just taken place the chapters before? He confronts the evil king Ahab. He's fed by ravens. He raises the widow's son in Jezebel's hometown. He royal rumbles with 450 prophets of Baal, dumps water on wood. There's fire from heaven demonstrating who the real God is. And then the next day, Jezebel says, I'm gonna kill you. And then he wigs out. He freaks, he panics, he runs for his life. He runs away, he runs. He runs like Forrest because he ran 40 days and 40 nights. 40 days away from the king of Ahab, 40 days away from Mount Carmel, where there was just a huge revival. Verse 9, there he went into a cave and spent the night. And God meets him in this cave. The word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, what a great question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Perhaps that is what the Lord is asking us right now. What are you doing here? Elijah responds. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Okay. Pity party for one? Can't you just hear the tone of Elijah's voice? I have been very zealous for you, Lord. Everybody in the world has rejected you except me. I'm the only one left. He rehearsed those lines. He was ready to give his complaints to God. They'd been running through his head while he was running these 40 days and 40 nights. And then God did something new. Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. There was a great and powerful wind. The wind tore apart the mountains. It shattered the rocks all around. But the Lord was not in the wind. And then there was this massive earthquake. The whole world beneath his feet is shaken. Okay? But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Then there was a fire. And the flames climbed high. The fire consumed and the heat was too much to bear. But the Lord was not in the fire. And then there was a gentle whisper. 
In Hebrew, it is a voice of finely ground silence, okay, of razor-thin silence. Then he heard the sound of silence. There was the wind, but God wasn't in the wind. There was the fire, but God wasn't in the fire. There was an earthquake, and God wasn't in the earthquake. And then came the sound of silence. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. Now, there's too much to unpack. But God can surely speak in the spectacular. Just ask the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. But here, on Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, God does not speak in the supernatural, but in the natural. And the whisper draws you in. It demands that you focus. It demands that you tune out everything else. It demands that you get close to the one who is speaking. Perhaps God is whispering to you now on this run that you're on, on this drive that you're on, in this chair that you are sitting in. Perhaps God is whispering to you now. I love the story of Elijah. So much of it resonates with me, especially the parts where he gets in his own head and he feels sorry for himself. Just, just go back to the beginning of chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Now, if you are queen, if you are the evil queen Jezebel, perhaps the most evil queen of all time, and you want to arrest and kill Elijah, do you send a messenger or do you send a bailiff? Do you send a messenger? All right, well, by this time tomorrow, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna get you. Or do you send a bounty hunter? Do you send a message or do you send handcuffs? Jezebel sends a messenger. And that tells us that she couldn't back up what she said she was gonna do. No matter how evil she was, no matter how powerful she was, she had no power over God's prophet. The only hope she had was to threaten him, to scare him, because if Elijah stays, then my gods can't. Jezebel says, by this time tomorrow, I'm gonna kill you. And the proof that she can't do it is that she hasn't done it yet. And hear this, the proof that the enemy can't do to you, what he keeps freaking you out about, what, he's, what he says he's going to do to you, is that he hasn't done it to you yet. He doesn't have any power over me that my thought patterns don't give him. You see, it's possible to have Jesus in your heart and Jezebel in your head. So with every step that Elijah took, Elijah was rehearsing the wrong story. These thoughts just reinforced how big the enemy was, how intense his loneliness felt, and it minimized what God had done. And that is exactly what Jezebel intended when she sent the message. This is what the devil does to us too. If he can get you to rehearse the wrong story, you will literally think it's true by the time you get to the cave. 
and then you cave, okay? You cave. You don't have the strength to stand. He tells himself the wrong story, and as he does that, it deletes all the right story. The text says that Ahab had told Jezebel, evil king tells the evil queen, everything Elijah had done, and so that's why she threatened him. Ahab comes home from that, that famous epic showdown in Mount Carmel where he lost. After Elijah calls fire down from heaven and he says, the Bible says that he tells his wife everything. He doesn't leave anything out. He comes home, he says, Jezebel, this dude, Elijah, don't mess with him, okay? This dude told them to take water during a drought, drench the sacrifice. The other prophets were cutting themselves. He's talking trash, saying that their God's going potty. And then Elijah prays, oh man, he prays and his God delivers. His God shows up. That's what Ahab said. That's what Ahab said. Elijah's enemy was doing a better job telling his story than he was. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. He didn't leave out any of the details. See, the adversary of our souls will tell you something that might happen and it'll get in your head. It might happen. And he will emphasize the hypothetical and it'll make you forget the historical. It'll, it'll make you forget what God has done in the past for you. All Elijah had to do was give the devil a history lesson. All Elijah had to do from going in the wrong direction, from sinking into the depths of despair, all he had to do while he was walking away was stop for one moment and tell the story like it really happened. I thought I was the only one left, but my God is Yahweh. I stood on that mountain all alone and I watered that wood and then I watered that wood again and I called down fire from heaven and God came through. I went to the Kareth Ravine and the birds brought me food. I went to the widow's house in the town of Jezebel and I multiplied her oil. I was there when her son died and God brought him back to life again. Give them a history lesson that God hasn't failed you and he won't fail you now. God, we thank you for the strength that you give us in remembering what you've done, remembering your faithfulness. God, help us to remember it in the midst of the Kareth Ravine seasons, in the seasons where we run away because of fear. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we live boldly the life you have called us to live. Thank you, God, for Elijah. Thank you, God, that you live in our hearts, God. But I, I pray that I pray that you'd live in our heads too. That we'd rehearse the right story. In Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week we continue week three of a Prophets and Kings. And we're gonna look at uh, Elijah's successor, okay, Elisha. And it's gonna be a great time. We hope you have an amazing week. Grace and peace in Ukraine.